Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 7. We're continuing our study in Genesis. Been here for some months, and I've greatly enjoyed it. I confessed in Sunday school how every week I study Genesis, it, it's pressed upon me how tragic it is, how sad it is that so many professing Christians don't believe Genesis. They don't believe God. They don't believe God's record, God's account of the creation, of the fall, of the establishment of marriage, of even the creation of gender, male and female. They don't believe in the worldwide global flood, the judgment of God upon all humanity. They don't believe God until they get to perhaps chapter 12, or perhaps later even in Scripture. Perhaps they're not even certain themselves when they start to believe God. That's a very dangerous position to be in. It's not a Christian position. We need to believe God from Genesis to Revelation. Every jot and tittle is our necessary food. And so we receive it as such and rejoice in it as such. Here we are in Genesis chapters, a section here, 6 through 8. Last time, last time we looked at the sexual perversion in Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4. Sexual perversion is the express lane to hell was that point. And we found in Genesis chapter 6 that these sons of God, these angels, came and had relations with the daughters of men, and it resulted in this race of giants in the earth. We found this mentioned not just in Genesis chapter 6, but also in the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, and in Jude 6 and 7, this unique event where these angels got caught up in this perversion and God cast them down to the pit, to await that final day of judgment. So that first point in this section was sexual perversion. is express lane to hell. They got cast into hell long before the rest of their demonic horde, and there they await in that hellish holding tank, the final hellish abode known as the lake of fire. The second point in this section in verses 5 through 8 was the, a declaration of judgment and grace. And it says there in verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And I must confess that sounds a lot like mankind in our day. Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and He was grieved in His heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So a declaration of judgment and grace. Mankind as a whole had departed from the Creator. Mankind as a whole was engaged in evil continually, with the notable exception of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, his three sons, and all of their wives. They found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In verse 9, it says, Noah was a just man, a just man. And we know from Romans 1, 16 and 17 that the just shall live by Faith. Noah was a just man, not through works righteousness, but through faith in the one true God and the sacrifice he would provide, looking ahead. As Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Salvation has always been by grace alone, through faith alone in the sacrifice, specifically Christ, that God would provide. And Noah is there in that hall of faith in Hebrews 11, justified by faith. We found in verses 13 and following in Genesis chapter 6, 
verses 13 and following, we found that God's ark is the only escape from death and judgment. It is the narrow path of life. It is the singular means of survival. It alone is God's means of mercy. The ark is a picture of Christ. The ark is a type of Christ. Salvation is in Christ alone. And the ark is a very vivid picture of that reality. You're either on the ark or you will most certainly die. You're either on the ark or you are under the wrath of God. You're either on the ark of God's mercy or you're under God's judgment. God's ark is the only escape from death and judgment. Verse 13, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, all flesh. And I want to uplift that reality. This is a global flood. I want to establish that reality. I want to drive that reality home in your hearts and minds. The end of all flesh is a global flood. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and covered inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. So about 500 feet long, 80 feet wide, 50 feet high. You could set three space shuttles end to end, nose to tail on the deck and have a little room left over. This is no wee boat. This is a great ship, a great vessel strategically designed to survive a great roaring flood. Verse 16, you shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side and you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Three decks on this great ship. And behold, I myself am bringing flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. They, in covenant relationship with God, will be under the grace and mercy love and protection of God in the ark. And there alone will men survive the wrath of God. Even as in Israel, unless you were under the the blood, when the death angel came, the firstborn would die. And even now, unless you're under the blood of Jesus, Jesus Christ alone, your sins will find you out. You most certainly will be under the judgment of God. You're either beneath the blood or you're beneath judgment. There's nothing in between. There's nothing in between. You're either on the ark or you're outside of the ark and you'll be consumed by this global deluge. We found last time in verse 20 that two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Sometimes Skeptics say, well, how could Noah get all these animals on the ark? Two of each kind will come to you. I just read another skeptic yesterday saying, look, this is fanciful. Where where would Noah get penguins? Two of each kind will come to you. Consider today how these critters migrate all about the earth. It is amazing by God's design. Do you think God can't call a few of these critters from each kind to march toward Noah's ark steadily over that vast amount of time that it's taking Noah to build the ark and for them to arrive right on time and to walk two by two up that plank or up that ramp and enter the ark in that singular door. Oh, yes, our God can do that and did do just that. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Verse 21, and you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and to them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded them, so he did. And you need to know the skeptics just scoff. They just scoff and mock that Noah could bring enough food to keep these animals alive. And there's various ways to explain how Noah, in the one year and ten days on that ark, lived and the animals with him. Uh, And you can go and visit the replica of the ark that Ken Ham has built in Kentucky, and you'll see 
how this is more than plausible, even without miracle. If God, <coughs> excuse me, desired, he, of course, could cause all of the, the critters on that great ship to go into hibernation, if he so desired. And that's a plausible explanation. But as you would see, if you go to Ken Ham's website, AIG, Answers in Genesis, um, there are plausible, reasonable arguments for how he fed them and watered them and kept them alive for that year and 10 months there on that vast ship without miracle, without miracle. But you have no reason. That's what I want to give you confidence. There is no reason to scoff. There is no reason to mock. There's no reason to question, could God do that? No, God most certainly did it because he said he did it. He said he did it. And the God who created the heavens and the earth with the breath of his mouth, who spoke it by divine fiat into existence, most certainly can gather these critters onto the ark and keep them alive, even through his servant Noah and his sons. His sons. But I'll tell you, as you go and visit that ark, you, you see it come alive. You see ancient technology put to work in this ark in a very reasonable and scientific way. You see incredible feats of engineering that they likely would have employed And it really is awesome to behold. I highly recommend you don't spend all your vacation money on going to Southern California, but drive east and go to Kentucky and enjoy the Creation Museum and the Ark there. So we find God's Ark is the only escape from death and judgment. James 2 verse 17 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Noah found grace, found grace with God as he exercised his faith. Faith without works is dead. Noah believed God that there was a flood coming. Noah believed God that he must build an ark and they would all perish. And Noah acted on that belief. Dear saints, hell is coming. Judgment is coming. We need to believe God and act on that faith for the salvation of our own souls. But then if we truly believe this gospel, if we truly believe upon Christ as our ark, he who would rescue us for the coming deluge of fire, not water, then certainly we would care for our neighbors and desire that they too be on the ark. They too flee from the wrath to come. And if our faith is sincere, if our faith is real, it will not be dead. We will be compelled to call others to the ark who is Christ. In Isaiah 54, 9, we find that Isaiah believed in a literal Noah and a literal worldwide flood. And what I'm going to do now is establish, we're going to track through Scripture quickly and establish that there is no biblical view of Noah and the flood except that Noah was our literal forefather in the faith and the flood was a literal worldwide global deluge that consumed every man, woman, child, and beast that was not on that ark. There is no other biblical position. If you're a Christian, you either believe God or you don't, and then you must ask, am I a Christian? Is God a liar? He is no liar. God is truth. Let us believe our God. Isaiah 54, 9 says, For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. Isaiah 54, 9. Isaiah Declaring God, Isaiah quoting God, clearly evidences his belief in a literal Noah and a literal worldwide flood. Ezekiel 14.14, Ezekiel believed in a literal Noah and a literal worldwide flood. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God, you have every reason to believe Ezekiel's uplifting the the entire story, the entire history of Noah, Daniel, and Job as he looks to them as three literal men being delivered by righteousness, righteousness imputed unto them. In Matthew 24, 36 through 44, far more important than Isaiah and Ezekiel, and significantly clearer yet, the Lord Jesus 
declares a literal Noah and a literal worldwide flood. Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Now, the Lord Jesus is talking about the coming day of judgment. But in that context, he looks back to the previous worldwide judgment. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the son of man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so the Lord Jesus likens his coming, his second incarnation, and the judgment that comes with him as the coming of the flood of Noah. He speaks of the flood as a literal flood, and the people that perished, he describes as eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They were living normal life, as if judgment would never come. And all of that normal life was interrupted. And you find, you find at Ken Ham's Ark in Kentucky, you find both video production and artwork that depicts the coming of the flood upon humanity. And it is moving. It is compelling. It is terrifying. God's judgment is terrifying. And the Lord Jesus is warning us of his coming judgment and that it will come suddenly, like judgment came upon mankind in Noah's day and took them all away. Luke 17, 26-30, again, the Lord Jesus evidences his belief in the literal Noah and a literal worldwide flood. Now, why would Jesus believe that? Because he read it in a book? Did Jesus believe in a literal Noah and a literal flood because he read it in Genesis and he was a good Jew? No, because he's God in flesh. He's the God who brought that worldwide flood. He's the God who brought that judgment. He's the God who inspired the Holy Spirit to put pen to page and to write the account of it in Genesis. And so in Luke 17, 26, we ought not be shocked that Jesus is a literalist, that Jesus literally believes in Noah and his ark and his flood. Luke 17, 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. He goes further. Verse 28, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. He believed not only in a literal Noah and a literal flood, but in a literal Lot and a literal Sodom and Gomorrah. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Sober warnings. From historic accounts, actual accounts of God's wrath on mankind. An entire city, Sodom and Gomorrah, and an entire globe. We find in Second Peter that Peter believed in the literal Noah and a literal worldwide flood. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And that's looking at Genesis 6, verses 1 through 5. And then he transitions to the rest of that Genesis 6, 7, and 8 account of the flood. Verse 5, he says, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. What does he mean, one of eight people? Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives. Exactly as Genesis tells the history. And did not spare the ancient world. Worldwide global flood. 
did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Peter, like the Lord Jesus, believed Genesis, whether it's talking about a worldwide global flood and Noah's Ark that saved eight people out of it, or whether it's talking about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Christians believe the Word of God. Christians believe Jesus, right? If we can believe him and trust him with our eternal soul, can we not believe him and trust him about Noah and the flood? And the answer is yes, you can and you must. You must. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, we read this, knowing this verse, that scoffers will come. Hear me, if you don't believe Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, You're a scoffer. Repent. You may call yourself a Christian, but you're a scoffer. You do not have good hold on Jesus Christ as Lord. And worse yet, He doesn't have good hold on you. You might claim Him as Lord. Does that sound familiar? Matthew 7, Lord, Lord. But you don't believe Him. Are you calling Him a liar while you call Him Lord? Jesus preached a literal Noah and a literal worldwide flood. Will you call him Lord and liar simultaneously? Or will you repent and be a scoffer no more? Now, I don't know that any of you are such scoffers, but such scoffing is exceedingly popular in evangelical circles today. If that's you, out of love for you, I say repent. Repent of that. Believe God. Not the heart that's in your chest that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What would cause you to disbelieve God, by the way? God's enemies? Atheists? Who deny God's creation account? Who deny a global flood? They would cause you to disbelieve God? So where is your faith? In God or an atheist? And are you a Christian? Or are you an atheist? Second Peter 3.3 3 knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep... Now they're saying, where is the promise of His coming judgment? That's the issue. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget. They willfully deny. They willfully suppress the truth. This they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. They deny the Creator. They deny Genesis 1 and 2. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. They deny the Creator and they deny the global flood. They deny the judgment that the Creator brought on humanity. That's what the scoffers do. There are many professing Christians that are scoffers. They need to repent and be scoffers no more. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, all Christians believe in a coming judgment, but some professing Christians don't believe in historic judgment, as if the God is going to judge in the future. He wouldn't judge the whole world in the past. The God who wiped out life on the planet through deluge of water will wipe out life on the planet through deluge of fire. In fact, he'll wipe out the planet and the cosmos with it. Second Peter 3, verse 8. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Do you know there are some Christians who don't believe that? They don't believe that. They don't believe that 
Scripture is true at the beginning of the book or at the end of the book. At the beginning when God judged or at the end when God is going to judge. It's as if their God is a wee little God created by men that does not have the power to create the heavens and the earth by divine fiat, that doesn't have the power to uncreate the heavens and the earth by divine fiat and then have the power to create it again in an instant and an earth in which only righteousness dwells. Our God, the God, the only God there is, the God of Holy Scripture, is no wee little God. He is almighty. And if He should so choose, He can create everything in six days. And if He should so choose, He can uncreate everything in an instant and recreate everything in the next instant. And that's exactly what the Word of God clearly declares. And so we believe God. Not that heart in our chest that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Christians believe God. That the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. He says it again. And the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. What do we look for? The new heavens and the new earth. Where are our eyes fixed? On the new heavens and new earth. Our confidence, our faith, our security is not found in the current earth or even the heavens. We got to get to Mars. We need an outpost on Mars because what if some space rock hits earth and wipes us all out? Right? And if all we are is accidental life to begin with, no God, just an accident, then surely there's some accident coming for us. Some germ is going to wipe us out. Some rock is going to wipe us out. They've made plenty of movies about both. There is no accidental life. There's no accidental universe and there'll be no wiping out of humanity by accident. The God who created the heavens and the earth will wipe out humanity quite deliberately in that final deluge of fire. And he will let loose the gluons that hold together the material universe, the earth and everything else. And he will recreate the heavens and the earth. And that's what we look for. The new heaven and the new earth. That's what we're looking for. We, according to his promise, his promise. Would you call God a liar? If you don't believe him, you are. You might as well point your finger to heaven and say it. We believe his promise. We, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's our hope. That's our hope in the midst of injustice. That's our hope in the midst of relative earthly utopia. It's still, no matter how good it is now, tainted with sin. And mind you, we as Americans have lived, relatively speaking, in utopia. Now, a fallen utopia, but compared to the rest of the history of the world, and most of the world even right now, We've got it awfully good. But this world is coming to an end, and so our faith is not in this world. This nation will come to an end. All nations will. The kingdom of Christ is coming. That's what we pray. Thy kingdom come. What do we mean? We mean burn it all. That's what we're praying. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're ultimately praying when Christ will rule and reign forever, God the Father and the Son, with us. We, his, the Father's children, and he condescends, the Son condescends to call us his brothers and sisters, adopted through his blood, made children of God forever in a new heavens and new earth in which only righteousness dwells. That's the Christian faith. That's the end of everything. And sadly, there are a multitude of professing Christians who don't believe it. They deny one portion thereof, either the historic portion or portions of the future coming 
fiery deluge that will destroy the elements with a fervent heat. Dissolve, it says, the elements with a fervent heat. And so we believe God. We trust God. And we live in light of this certain reality. We live like Noah, in light of the certain coming flood. We diligently build our ship, even when the rest of the world thinks that's a wee bit crazy. What are you doing over there? Building a ship. Why? And by the way, what is a ship? (laughs) And why are you building it? Well, there's a flood coming. There's a what coming? A flood coming. A global flood. Oh, we need to believe God like Noah believed God and prepare for the coming judgment like Noah prepared for the coming judgment and usher by the grace of God our children onto the ark who is Christ. Get your children onto the ark who is Christ. Labor with all that is in you as if it depended upon you, knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that God must regenerate, but God has a means. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You want them to hear it from your mouth. You want them to hear it from your life. You want them to hear it from the pulpit. You want them to hear it from other saints. You want them to hear it every which way that they might get onto the ark and stay on that ark, not go apostate off the ark of Christ and perish as those in the day of Noah perished, as those in the day of Lot perished, as both the Lord Jesus has warned us and Peter also. The coming of the Son of Man will be like that. And so we see this horrifying judgment and amazing grace and that God's ark is the only escape from death and certain judgment. Next, God's holy and just global judgment in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Come into the ark. Come into the ark. Oh, dear ones, young, old, in between here today, if you're not in the ark of Jesus Christ, I plead with you, come in to the ark. Repent. Whatever sin you're loving, whatever sin you won't give up, that sin's going to drag you down to hell. Repent. Come into the ark who is Christ. Flee from the wrath to come. Flee unto Jesus, the only Savior, the one name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Repent while there's time. For the, the flood came without warning. The judgment of Christ will come without warning. Repent. Flee to Christ and live now and forever as a child of God with the certain hope of that new earth in which only righteousness dwells where there is no more pain because there's no more sin and there is no more death because there's no more sin when there's only the fullness of the love of God, your Father, forever and ever and ever. Oh, repent. Come into the ark. Verse 2, You shall take with you seven of each clean animal, a male and his female, two of each animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven of each bird to the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. That's what men and women of faith do. They do what God commands him to do. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. It's not legalism, it's love. It's not salvation by works, it's faith that works. And faith that doesn't work is dead. Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. 
Noah's 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. Verse 7, So Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives went into the ark because the waters of the flood of clean animals, of animals that were unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And this subterranean deluge came up from beneath the ground and this cloud cover dumped down water caught up Therein, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And this was no organ mist, no organ drizzle that might drive you mad, but you have to work hard to get wet in sometimes. You have to go to the Midwest, perhaps, to get a, a real rain where it soaks you in a matter of a few seconds through and through. No, this was a great deluge from the earth below and from the heavens above. And are you catching that again and again and again and again in every way possible, the Lord is saying this is a global flood. This is worldwide. This is going to wipe out everything, which is the breath of life on the entire planet that is not on that ark. Verse 13. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and three wives and his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, and every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, and which is the breath of life, so that those who entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. A couple things there after their kind. You don't need every variety of dog or horse or rhino or whatever critter we're talking about. You just need two of each kind, and then they can procreate afterward, and you can get that variety again in the earth. Two of each kind entered the ark. And so that, that sets aside some of the arguments against it not being big enough, it not being nearly big enough. Oh, it's certainly big enough for two of each kind to enter into the ark. And notice at the end of verse 16, the Lord shut him in. The Lord must shut you in. And when the Lord does shut you in, you're in forever. You will persevere because the Lord will preserve you. The P in our Calvinistic tulip is certain. You will persevere because the Lord will preserve you. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He will not let you go. You didn't one day wake up and get wise enough to choose Jesus. We're left fools, dead in our sin. Who is the atheist? He is the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. What changes us from the fool to the one who repents and confesses Christ as Lord? Regeneration does. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1 makes it explicitly clear that Christ and his cross are just foolishness to us in our unregenerate state until the Lord regenerates the soul, until the Spirit of God calls us and illuminates the glory of God, holy, 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 in the sinfulness of self, and then we come repenting and believing. All glory to God, right? Salvation is by grace. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, because He, He, in His amazing grace, regenerates us, illuminates us, and gifts us repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. God shut them in, and God shut you in to Christ. Permanent covenant relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that ark and Noah and his family being shut into it are a picture of the eternal covenant, the new covenant of Christ, and being shut 
into that covenant and grace therein forever and ever and ever. Verse 17, Now the flood was on the earth forty days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed fifteen cubits upward, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Dear saints, God is a just, God is a just judge. He is a just judge. And when he determines, he will bring judgment upon sinful mankind individually or corporately. Whether that's a family unit, whether that's a city, whether that's a state, or whether that's the entirety of the globe all at once. God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7, 11. God is not a doting father. He's not a blind father. He's not a forgetful father. He's not a foolish father. He's not a wicked father. He is holy, 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 and he is just. And he is angry with the wicked every day. He is long-suffering, Peter told us, so that what? Ultimately, his elect should not perish. Not one of them will perish. But at that hour that the last man, woman, or child that Christ died for, that Christ pronounced to tell us die over, right? A literal atonement for a literal people. He actually paid the penalty of their sin. The hour that that last man, woman, or child comes to repentance and faith in Christ, I expect the trumpet to sound. I expect judgment to fall. Because the last one will be shut in. The door will be shut. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We need to fear God. That's the beginning of knowledge. As sinners, that's the beginning of the knowledge of God because He is holy, 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 and we are wicked. We are vile. We are abominable in our sins. And God will bring judgment. And He's not too weak or doting to do so. And yet, while God is a just judge and most certainly will bring judgment upon sinners, He's a merciful God. And He's made a way of escape. He's made an ark. And He's revealed it to us. Don't neglect the revelation of God. Don't doubt the revelation of God. Don't presume upon the mercies of God as if God's going to just keep being merciful generation after generation, day after day, and His judgment will never come. No, it will come upon each one individually and all mankind as a whole in God's time. Unless you're in that ark. Unless you're in that singular means of mercy that God has provided. We always want the broad road to be the road of life. But the Lord is quite clear that the narrow road is the path of life. Jesus alone is the gate of salvation. He alone is the vessel of salvation. Oh, God's love is deep and wide. It's as wide as Christ and His cross. It's as deep as eternity. And we cannot make it wider. Nor should we want to. We're still under Genesis 7, God's holy and just global judgment. Revelation 20 verse 10 says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is the eternal non-resting place of the damned. It is eternal conscious torment day and night forever and ever. 
It speaks of the devil being cast there. But Revelation 20.15 says, Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into that same lake of fire. Oh, that we would believe God, that we would believe that we would believe the warning of God of the coming fiery judgment and be moved like Noah was with godly fear. Revelation 21.8, listen closely. It says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Hear me. Roman Catholic idolaters must repent. They must forsake their false Christ in that wafer and cup. They must forsake their prayers to Mary, whom they make to be an idol as a co-mediatrix. They must forsake the plethora, the multitude of idols everywhere in the church of Rome and come to the true Christ and his true gospel to be saved. Our Mormon friends, our Jehovah's Witness friends, our Muslim friends all need to forsake their idol, their false God, their false Christ, and their false gospel and come to Christ to be saved. Or they most certainly will be in the lake of fire. Literal conscious torment forever. The idolaters will be there. The liars shall be there. The sexually immoral shall be there. The sorcerers shall be there. The murderers shall be there. Our culture is a culture of murderers who not only murder babies themselves, but celebrate and applaud those who do in the name of pro-choice, in the name of, the name of a woman's right to her own body, in the name of feminism, go feminism. 1.6 billion babies slaughtered since 1980. The blood is flowing. There are those that look to revelation and the blood of those being judged by Christ flowing to the horse's bridles, right? That's like blood flowing five feet, six feet deep. And they say, wow, that's, that's appalling. God bringing His judgment in that way upon humanity. They look to the global deluge of water. They look to the global deluge of fire. They look to that blood flowing. They look to the Canaanites being wiped out by Israel under the command of God. And they say, that's horrific. Yes, it is horrific that you're such a great hypocrite that you would dare turn your sinful finger toward heaven and point it to God when you support the slaughter of 1.6 and then some billion babies the most innocent human beings to ever exist in the safest place, their mother's own womb. Oh, don't fall for the screeches against God that our atheist friends make. No, turn it back around. Turn it back around. There's murder in their hearts. There's murder in their hearts. If President Trump should somehow prevail this Marxist plot, overcome it, and sit in the White House once again come January 20th, you will see a hue and cry against him. And foremost, it's a murderer's cry. It's the cry of women that demand the right to commit sexual immorality and slaughter their children unchecked up through the ninth month and beyond, even post-birth. That's the war that's raging right now. That's what the women's march was about and will yet be about until Christ comes and crushes it. Revelation 21.8, the cowardly, unbelieving. Unbelief is no protection. Unbelief is sin. God has revealed himself to every man and every woman through his creation and through their conscience. Unbelief is suppression of truth and unrighteousness. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire, which is the second death. We have been warned. We've been warned of the coming eternal deluge of fire, not water. We've been warned of eternal damnation. We've been warned of the fierce wrath of the Almighty being poured out full strength into the cup of His indignation. We've been warned. Will we not be moved like Noah with godly fear? Will we not first be moved ourselves to repent and flee to Christ for salvation? And then to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who's working within us both to will and to do for His good pleasure? And then will we not cry to others that they must be saved? 
They must be saved. I love to preach Acts 4.12. There is no salvation any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Now the entire verse is worthy of emphasis, but I always make certain to put tremendous emphasis on the end of the verse. You must be saved. You're already damned. Your sin has already found you out. I'm not judging you. I've come to warn you that your sin is already judged by the judge. You must be saved. You're already dead in sin and trespass. It's the thin fabric of this universe that's holding you up out of the eternal flames of hell. And at God's appointed time, you will drop like a rock through a spider's web into hell forever. You must be saved. Repent. Flee to Christ. The only ark of salvation. The only means of salvation. The only person. Fully God. Fully man. Who laid down his righteous life for sinners. Crucified. Buried and resurrected on the third day, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering that fire of hell on behalf of all those who will repent, all those who will flee to Him. Oh, how foolish to go our own way, to keep giving ourselves in marriage and food and drink and making that living, running after that buck, getting that next toy, waiting for that next Amazon box, all the trivialties and frivolities of this life that are all soon coming to an end. Oh, we must flee to the ark. Flee to Christ. God's holy and just global judgment is coming. We've been warned. Final point, Genesis chapter 8, God's amazing grace. God's amazing grace. Genesis 8, verse 1, Then God remembered Noah, and every living thing, and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided, and the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven also stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters receded continually from the earth. Hear me, God is sovereign of the wind and the waves. He brought them, He stopped them. And God is sovereign over the wind and the waves in your lives and in mine. He brought them, and He'll stop them according to His plan, His perfect plan. But there's a day coming when there'll be no more wind and waves, no more trials and tribulations, no more persecution, no more suffering. That day is coming, but it's not now. Don't let the wind and the waves, while you're on the ark still in this world, you're on the ark, you're in Christ, and there's wind, and there's waves. Do you think it was calm in there? Do you think it smelled good? What do you think your job was on the ark? Shoveling and feeding. They weren't just laying about, singing hymns all day, painting and doing needle stitch. Needle stitch? Is that right? Needle point? Not my field. <laughs> Crocheting. No, they were busy working and they were suffering. Do you suppose they had their sea legs? This was no wee storm. This was a great storm, a vast storm, an immeasurable storm, a typhoon and then some. And while this was a sturdy ark that would prevail over it, they were no doubt tossed to and fro, much like you and I are even now, on the ark of Christ in a fallen world. But in God's time, the wind will stop, the waves will stop, the rain will stop, and the ark will come to rest. And you'll come out into glory, into the presence of your Lord. At the end of 150 days, the water decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventh day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. And the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. For those who deny the literal account of Noah and his ark, Wow, they're denying an amazing amount of detail. I mean, for an illustration or an analogy, God sure went to great lengths to put in historic detail, did He not? Verse 6, 
So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from his from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited for yet another seven days. And again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him any more. I've heard some amazingly creative sermons come out of that portion of scripture. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say this is what Noah did and what Noah experienced and, and say it all happened just like that and not try to give you types or meanings that aren't expressly clear, although there may be some truth in some of what others have preached on that, but I'm going to leave that to them. Verse 13, And it came to pass in the 601st year in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. One year, 10 days. Now, I've been on ship for six months, but even then I got off the ship several times. But life on that ship, which, by the way, was smelly at times. There were lots of Marines and sailors. But there weren't all these beasts and everything those beasts produce. And there was modern air conditioning vents, although in the Middle East that didn't work so well. You could put a chocolate bar in the air conditioning vent and it still was mush. It was so hot. But all that to say, uh, life on ship is not pleasant. This is not a pleasure cruise. Yeah, they weren't on the Toledo deck. They weren't going to the buffet. A year and 10 days. Where we are now is like the year and 10 days. It's not a pleasure cruise. And the Lord didn't say it was going to be a pleasure cruise. It's our opportunity to walk with faith. It's our opportunity to call others on to the ark. Unlike Noah's ark, while we may be sealed in, we can still call others. They can still get in. If they're still breathing they can still get into the ark. And that's really, as it's been described many times, that's the one thing you won't be able to do in heaven is invite others into the ark. It's too late then. Now is the time to sacrificially labor. Now is the time to war for the glory of Christ and the redemption of sinners. There's a war on. This isn't peacetime. It's wartime. There will be casualties. There will be injuries. There will be suffering. It will be hot. It will be cold. It will be uncomfortable. You'll be hungry. There are real enemies. There's a war on. But the year and ten days will come to an end. The glory will come. You'll get out of that ark into the full glory of redemption, the full glory of God's Grace, the new heavens and new earth in which only righteousness dwells, that's what we're looking toward and living toward. And so, verse 15, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, the birds and the cattle and the creeping things that creep on the earth, so they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and wife his wife and his son's wives with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out of the ark. Verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And here Peter loses its mind. Right? And we have a very limited stock a very limited number of creatures, and now Noah's making sacrifice. He's making blood sacrifice because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. He is celebrating the gospel that there is the wage of sin, and the wage of sin is death, and that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And all of the Old Testament sacrifices were a picture of the coming sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And here we have Noah coming off the ark and taking these precious critters, right? Because scarcity drives up value. 
and he's making blood sacrifice as a celebration of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and the sacrifice that God would provide, Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Noah was saved by faith. Verse 21, And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Christ is our eternal ark. And that's what Noah and his family were celebrating when they came off that physical ark. Oh, that we would flee to Christ and stay steadfast in him and build our lives on Christ as our rock, our foundation. Daily crying out to him, in prayer, daily seeking Him in His Word, daily seeking to see others flee from the wrath to come to the ark who is Jesus Christ. Horrifying judgment and amazing grace. Let's pray.